Our, uh, our first reading today comes from uh, Matthew 13, verses 16 to 23, and that's on page 818 of your pew Bible. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to say uh, uh, it was just such a pleasure for us and joy for us to be here with you for several years and, uh, and uh, rub shoulders with all these uh, wonderful and loving uh, saints that love and serve the Lord. So. Uh, it's, it's, and it's a joy to be back as well. So hear the word of God. But blessed, are you, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. And we continue with Luke 9, uh, verses 57 to 62, which is uh, page 868 in the Pew Bible. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who at at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. What a privilege again to open God's Word with you. Um, it got my word, my world rocked seriously by uh, by that scripture this week. Um, we've been looking together at the parable of the soils, and and the danger that we've experienced has been that this is a parable that's so familiar to us that um, it almost just kind of washes over us uh, without. Affecting us. But I want to just suggest to you that the issues that this parable addresses are critical for, for us as a nation. The, the issues that the parable addresses are critical for the body of Christ globally. The issues that this parable addresses are absolutely critical for us personally as we, uh, as we seek to follow Jesus. 
The reality is, as we look around, especially, I'm going to say, especially the Western church, because in many parts of the world, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is exploding. We'll see some of the correlations today in our, in our time in God's Word. But as we look around North America, we don't see that happening. We, we don't see the church of Jesus Christ exploding. We don't see people's lives being radically transformed. We're not seeing, using the language of the parable, we're not seeing a particular season of productivity or fruitfulness. Everywhere we look, we see people who've been exposed to the Word of God and to its teachings, but whose lives have not been changed by it. Does that make sense? They're exposed to it, just exactly what the parable is saying, but their lives are not changed by it. And even more poignantly, the, we see many people whose Christian lives began with joy and they sprang up like the the plant in the story, and then, and then something happened along the way. And, and, and that might be true for some of us right here. Something happened along the way and robbed us of that joy, kept us from experiencing the very purpose of God for our lives, kept us from experiencing fruitfulness. So, so I want to look at the middle segment of this parable today. We'll continue it for one more week, um, looking especially next week on, on the fruitfulness side of this. But, but I want to look at the unfruitful side with you for just a second and ask ourselves the question, what, what is it that characterizes unfruitful lives? And my prayer is that in, in the process of asking some hard questions about unfruitfulness that we will discover along the way, uh, a path to cultivating a fruitful heart, to cultivating fruitful lives. Again, twice in the parable, and, and it's clear from the parable that the soil in the parable represents your heart. It represents your heart. And, and the different examples of soils are examples of hearts that are right here in the room with us today. It's examples of hearts that, that surround us every day in our workplace and in our homes. And so Jesus is asking us, I think, to take a good look at at the condition of our heart. And let's just remind ourselves from where we were a couple of weeks ago as we started um, looking at the soils in particular. Uh, we saw there that one condition of our hearts is hardness of heart. Do you remember that? The seed fell on the soil, but the soil was packed. It was a path. It was trodden down and the seed could not take root in it. It sat there on the top of the soil. And, and in our explanation, which John and Jenny read for us here just a little while ago, Jesus explained, you have to understand that if that seed sits there, if it doesn't do what a seed was created to do, then, then Satan will come and his number one strategy is to steal that seed from your life. And remember, the seed is the Word of God. So Satan's number one strategy is to take away the very Word of God from your life. And so a couple of weeks ago, we said, what do we do? What do we do? And, and, and the answer was, we plow up our hardened hearts. Remember? Repentance. We, we invite Jesus to, to, to take our hardened hearts and to break them up. 
Uh, we're to seek the Lord while He may be found. Remember, call on Him. Isaiah 55, while He is near. Now's the time to seek the Lord. The Lord can break up even the most hardened hearts. And some of those hardened hearts were you. You were that hardened heart. And, and, and God uh, heard our cry and broke up that fallow ground. He used many different ways of doing that. Some just through the power of His Word. Others through the difficulties and circumstances of life which you faced. But He plowed up that hardened heart and made it receptive again to the, to the Word of God. So um, one condition... Uh, that we find ourselves in is in this place of hardness of heart. But today we're going to see two more and we're going to focus on one of them in particular. There was another condition, right? There was seed that fell on, and in the, the um, Gospel of Matthew in the ESV, it, it calls it rocky ground. But don't picture um, like like a field with lots of little rocks in it and places in between a fruitful soil. No, what the, the original language is describing is... is um, uh, ground that and the surface seems receptive on the surface is is fertile ground but 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 it's shallow and underneath the surface there is that hardened rock again right so remember the first time we got rock all the way up the top hardened path now now there's a little bit of space in there and what happens when the word of god falls in that kind of life we see this all the time what happens is that people respond with joy right to the word of god the word of god is life and and when even a shallow uh, amount of, of cultivated soil exists, then people can respond. And, and it's beautiful. The plant springs up. And I love, again, the graphic that we have here of a plant springing up, right? It, it's a beautiful thing. And if, if all of life was measured on what a plant looks like above the ground, we would say we are doing good. But the message of the parable of soils is not what it looks like, right? The message of the parable of soils, and we'll explore this in depth next week, is, is the idea that the measure is fruitfulness. What happens? Does it bear fruit? Not does it make beautiful leaves? Does it look good above ground? And the second condition that we find ourselves in, and we'll come back to this in just a moment here, is, is this of shallowness of soil. What do we do? What do we do? Let me just give you an advanced word here and say the challenge is to put down deeper roots. The challenge is to not just focus on what is visible above ground, but what's going on inside, what's going on underneath, to put down deeper roots, right? And the imagery going on here, and all of us have these examples in our minds where we've seen granite, where we've seen uh, uh, solid rock that has been broken up by the root from a tree, right? There's power in roots, amen? Uh, you've seen it. Uh, it doesn't make sense. You'd think the rock is much stronger than any aspect of that root. But that root continues to grow. It can break up even the most amazing things. I was in my, my front yard yesterday doing some mowing. I was so blessed for the cooler temperatures, right? And, and, and I noticed we have this beautiful tree in our front yard. But from that tree, there's a massive root snaking its way over to my house. And that didn't make sense to me, right? My house has a roof over it. Why is this root snaking its way over there? It's not small. It's probably four or five inches in diameter, making its way over. It goes right up to the wall of my house. 
Can you uh, picture what's going to happen to my house? What's going on? Right? You know already. You have been there, many of you, already, right? Uh, we have a sump pump in our crawl space, but, but that, when it rains, that's where the water goes, and the sump pump has to... That tree figured that out. It found, it found out a source, and it's, and it's gone through the foundation of my house to that, um, to that source of nourishment. And it will, and you've been there, and I've been there, um, you, um, it will destroy the foundation. It has that much power. In a positive sense, the Word of God is inviting us, let's put down powerful roots deep into the soil. And when we encounter rocks, it might take longer. But, but if, if the plant is strong, if the root system is strong, then, then uh, it will break up even the hardest of rock, even the strongest of foundations. Hardness of heart is a condition that we have to deal with. Shallowness is as well. But, but he also talks about this thorny soil. He talks about the seed falling on ground where, where, um, where other plants are growing as well, right? And the problem is that those other plants are, are competing for the same amount of nourishment, competing for the same things. They are competing priorities, if you would. They're competing priorities for the, uh, the soil, of our hearts, and all of us have been there. Just as the weeds compete for the ground outside of my house, um, the, the competing priorities of other things in your life compete with the Word of God. And honestly, especially in North American culture, many times those things win. Those things win. And what are those competing priorities? Let me just do a aside for a second. Hear the word of God from John, First John chapter 2. Again, very familiar passage to us. I just want to accent it again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. John tells us, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the King James boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but are from the world. And, and here's the deal. The world is passing away. Those things are not worthy of your attention. Those things are not worthy of your investment. Those things are not worthy of your life. They're passing away. But whoever does the will of God, John tells us, abides forever. So Jesus nails us. He says, the cares of this world. And earlier in Matthew, Jesus identified them. What I eat, what I will wear, right? The cares of this world will choke out. Will choke out the, the Word of God in your life. And so, so the challenge with, with um, thorny soil, with soil with competing priorities, is to pull the weeds is to not allow the weeds to take over. Now, immediately after this passage, Jesus tells another parable, and it's and I don't want to. It's tricky to pull the meaning from one parable into another. In that parable, Jesus says, "Don't pull up the um, the weeds," but he's speaking about people, and we're never going to pull up people. We're never going to discount people uh, in that parable. 
Um, here, the, the weeds are competing priorities, and we have to ask ourselves, what is going to be the priority of our life? God, do you genuinely reign? And is your word, God, a reflection of your sovereign purpose for our life? If it is, then none of those other things are worthy of, of our attention. You remember from childhood probably the, the, the story of the, and, it, and, it, and it's hard to tell whether it was ever true or whether it was a story that was made up, but it was a tale of an Indian who recounts there was a chief who was telling a gathering of young braves about the struggle within. And the chief said, it's like two dogs fighting inside of us, the chief told him. There's one good dog who wants to do the right thing and the other dog always wants to do the wrong. Kind of like my house. Sometimes the good dog seems stronger and is winning the fight, but sometimes the bad dog is stronger and is winning the fight. And the young brave asks, who's going to win in the end? And the chief answers, the one that you feed. Right? The one that you feed. Which are you feeding? Are you feeding the life of the Word of God in your life or are you feeding all those competing priorities? It it appears, at least for North American and Western church, that most of us have been feeding the wrong dog. And when we feed the dog of our worldly desires, that, that dog grows into a ferocious beast that controls and even ruins our lives. So, so... Jesus reminds us in this parable, this is what an unfruitful life looks like. Here's the really bad news from this. If and and you've got to decide, you've got to try and understand God's word. But if the measure, as I said earlier, really is fruitfulness. How did these first three soils do? How did the hearts represented by these first three soils do? Not so good. Right. Because. It doesn't seem, we know for certain that the first one, there's no fruit. It didn't even grow. The second ones, they, they sprang up. And, and this is a hard word for us again today. But, but the measure of a person's life isn't what they say is going on, right? It isn't the words that they express. Because most of us, especially when we first come to the Lord, we don't really understand what is going on. Many of us come to the Lord out of desperate need and He answers. Amen? He answers, and so we, we have joy. God is able to provide, right? But that was never in question. That was just our discovery of this amazing truth. And you can't live on that, right? At some point, you have to ask yourself, if He's sovereign over my life, then it's not just of recognizing when He hears my cry and answers me, but it's also of surrendering my life to His Lordship. Of genuinely saying, as we said just a few moments ago, God, You reign. You reign in my life. And and so what I'm trying to say here is that you cannot measure someone's life by what they say. Even if you grew up thinking that if you just say certain words or assign certain cards or do certain things, then, then that's all that's required of you. The powerful message from the parable of the soils is no, the mark of a life devoted to Jesus is fruitfulness. Not words. Not words. It helps us, doesn't it? Because we've all known people that, that sprang up like the, the plant in the shallow soil. It sprang up like we assume the plant in the thorny soil did as well. But then something happened and all of a sudden they completely turned away from God and denied that they ever knew Him 
or loved him. We cannot, we cannot um, settle for just getting someone to say something. I apologize, but I, it just prompted me to remember when I was doing a middle school camp at Camp Pioca. Anybody remember that word, Camp Pioca? Um, it's, it was a Presbyterian camp um, outside, where is it? Outside of um, Brownstown. I want to say Bloomington, but it's Brownstown, yeah. And, and I had this brilliant idea. You know, I'm, I'm a guy with 15 years of student ministry background. I said, I'm, I had this brilliant idea. I'm going to invite... I'm going to invite kids to know Jesus and to symbolize that by lighting a candle. Cool. Cool idea, right? Right? Let me say it again. I'm going to invite kids to know Jesus and, and symbolize it by playing with fire. Right? 200 kids came to Jesus that night. Did they? 200 kids played with fire that night. <laughs> I didn't mean for this analogy to work out that way, but, but it in itself was a parable. A lot of us are playing with fire, right? We get caught up in the emotions of stuff, but it's not an act of our will. It's an act of our emotions. And we say things that, that um, we don't follow up on. We, we make commitments that we don't keep. We, we make promises that we break. Um, and, and Jesus is, is taking us to school. He's saying, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. And I want you to start by recognizing that none of these first three ever bore fruit. Best we can tell, right? I hate to push a, a parable too far, but best we can tell, none of them bore fruit. Uh, so, so this is critical for us, as it always is in the stories of Jesus, to find ourselves in the story and say, where are we, God? And, and are we on a path similar to one of these? And if we are, we've got to do something differently. And if I could, I'd like to focus today with you on, on this, this middle segment here, this middle segment, the attitudes that, that evidence a shallow heart. And, and if you thought this is tough so far, Hang on to your seats because I know it went by fast when I believe it was Jenny that was reading it, but, but, but the Word of God does not pull punches. And, and he describes what a life, a deep life of following Jesus looks like. So what kind of attitudes um, will we encounter or will we possess even that, that evidence that we are springing up with joy, but that we have no root, that we're not going to bear fruit. First of all, let me just say, it's, one of them is an unwillingness to give up anything to follow Jesus, to give up anything. Now in our passage from Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, as they were going, uh, the Word of God says, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you. It might have been a middle schooler from the camp that I led, right? I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of air of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. As an aside, did Jesus not want people to follow him? I mean, that's not that's not your church growth strategy, is it? Uh, and in terms of talking. To people, Was he trying to discourage people from following him? No, no, I don't believe so. He was simply trying to let that man know that following Christ involves being willing to give up 
some things. And, and, and the, the great lie, I think, of North American culture is that we are told that you can do anything without giving up anything, right? And it doesn't make sense. We all know just from pure logistics that if you say yes to something, you are, in fact, saying no to something else, right? We, we've experienced that, or we're on our way to experiencing that. We're grossly overcommitted to multiple priorities. And Jesus clarifies that you're saying you're going to follow me wherever I go. I don't even have a place to lay my head tonight. Did you think about that? Did you think about that, young man? Each of us comes to this place where we realize the call of God is a powerful call on our life. Thank you so much. Um, It's going to sound unconnected, but I hope I can tie the dots together here, link them for your prayers for Andrew Brunson. Remember that? Remember Andrew? Andrew is an EPC pastor who went to Turkey in 1993 and, uh, and uh, for many years had an uh, incredible ministry there among the Muslims of, of Turkey and, um, and was just thoroughly committed to being there. And 20 months ago, um, he uh, was in the process of applying uh, for an extended visa. Some of you know much more about this than I do, but, but at some point you've got to get off a tourist visa and get onto a different kind of visa that allow you to stay in the country longer. He was going every couple of years having to renew a tourist visa. And so they called him in the middle of the night and, and said, would you come down? And he and his wife just assumed that they were, they were talking about um, coming down for the renewal process for the visa. So they didn't take anything with them. They just left and... and and went to the, um, to the police station, and, and there they were arrested. Um, and no charges were given, but they were arrested. And for two and a half weeks, both of them were, were held without um, possibility of any kind of bail, without any charges being filed against them. Uh, with much outcry from people all over the world, the wife was then released, but, um, but Andrew was not. And, uh, and for the last 20 months... Andrew has been imprisoned in a Turkish prison. He was finally charged two months later, 63 days later. He was charged with um, uh, seditious activities against the government. You might recall that there was an attempted coup in Turkey in 2016. And the leader of that coup, uh, uh, the Turkish government believes, resides in the United States. And, And so Andrew is being held probably as a pawn in a much larger controversy but, um, but is still in prison to this day. Just a, a couple of months ago, he had a major opportunity. They could have said, we're going we're gonna to charge you with these things, but you're free to go. <laughs> and many times in those situations, it's a way of everybody saving face, and he's free to go, and they did not allow that. Andrew is charged with things that could mean 90 years of imprisonment for nothing other than being an American preaching the gospel in in Turkey, you see the, the blue um, band on my wrist. Um, uh, we had the privilege of praying for Andrew together at, at General Assembly, and his daughter was there. And, and, and his daughter um, shared some powerful things. His daughter said, you wouldn't believe the change in my dad. Now, keep in mind, this is a, a missionary to a Muslim country, uh, and... Um, and has been there since 1993. You're thinking, this guy's pretty far up the commitment to Christ chain, right? He's pretty far up this thing to begin with. He says, you don't believe the, the change that has come over my father in these last 
20 months. When he first, when he first was in prison, he could not wrap his brain around the injustice of it and why he was being held against his will. He said, but, but recently, since, since he was uh, refused at the trial uh, to be released, there's been a change in him, and now he, he has found himself overwhelmingly identifying with the persecuted people in Turkey. See, see, Andrew is an American. We're trying to pull all kinds of American strings, right, to get him released. But the reality is there's all kinds of people all over the globe that are suffering greatly for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? There are people unjustly imprisoned all over the globe. And, and she said, what's happening for Andrew is that, that his heart has completely changed and, 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 and he's committed himself to crying out for the people, especially in Turkey, who are just like him being imprisoned against his will. And, and the guy who long ago said, God, I believe that you have a greater purpose for me and responded by going across the globe to a challenging place to proclaim the gospel. The guy is being transformed even as we speak. So the issues for us are 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 critical. Even even if we like to think of ourselves as as pretty deep, deeply committed Christians, um, God says, "I've got more for you. I want to I want to go deeper. I've got so much at stake, and I want you to partner with me in doing this." Right? But you've got to be willing to give up. Andrew gave up everything. He gave up his, his North American lifestyle. He's lived as a Turkish person since 1993. And then God said, I want more, Andrew. I'm asking more of you. What is God asking of you? If you're saying, God, I will follow you as long as I can have these certain things. I've got bad news. i got bad news for you. Um, and I know some of those certain things are precious to you. They're precious to me. I was sharing with the Sunday school class of a fellow pastor uh, uh, in the EPC asked of his church in a survey, if God required of you your children, that's a pretty important issue for us globally or nationally right now, right? If God said, I'm going to separate you from your children for the sake of the gospel, how many of you would do that? Pick a number in your head what you think the response might have been. EPC church, very committed church, 700, 800 members maybe. Um, 17% were there. Some of you just went into crisis because you realized, I'm not there yet. Hey, I'm not there yet. Are you following me? But Jesus is inviting us to go deeper. He's inviting us not... You're not you're not saying abandon your children. He's saying, are you willing? Are you willing? What would you be willing to give up? Because you don't realize it, but there's all kinds of things that you're fully devoted to that aren't going to help you in your fruitfulness for the gospel. And our loving God is gently asking you, loosen your white knuckle grip on them. Loosen your grip and trust me. Trust me an unwillingness to give up anything to follow Jesus. To another, he said, follow me. But that man said, you know, notice right now, instead of the man asking, I will follow you, Jesus is now asking that person to follow him. And he's speaking to some of us right here in the room right now, follow me, Jesus is saying. But that man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. If you felt that is an amazingly harsh thing for Jesus to say, I, I agree. I agree. He's just basically saying, let people who have no spiritual life in them bury people who have no spiritual life. You follow me. Another attitude that evidences a shallow heart is making following Jesus a secondary priority in our lives. I'm, I'm, I'm so tempted right here to try and ameliorate this, make this seem somehow gentler, and, I, and it's wrong of me to do that. I would say to you that very likely that man's father had not died yet. I feel this tension. My father is 84, and he's got surgery on the 30th of July, and, and I think we're finally getting to that place where my strong father, my, my um, amazing, athletic, amazing man is... Um, it's fragile and weak. And I feel what this man might have felt. I think that's part of the prompting motivation to spend some time this next couple of weeks in Ventura. I don't know how long I'll have. And, and forgive me, those of you who've lost loved ones, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you know what I'm talking about. And, and I feel that. But my father hasn't died yet, right? Um, very likely this man's he's saying i'm going to put i'm going to put family before you and the terrible irony of that is that if you put jesus first then you get family right but if you put family first you don't necessarily get jesus and jesus cannot be a secondary priority jesus wants to be first seek first the kingdom of god help me and his Right relationships, right? And all these other things, Matthew 6.33, all these other things will be added to you. Jesus can't be a secondary priority for you. So let's go a little further. Yet another says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say at least farewell to those at my home. Come on, Jesus. I'm, I'm not asking to stay until my father dies. I just want to say goodbye, right? I just want to say goodbye. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Terrible things happened in the Bible, didn't they, when people looked back, right? One became a pillar of salt. Others lost days, if not weeks, if not years of God's purpose on their life because they struggled in looking back. An attitude that, that reveals the shallowness of, of all of our hearts is looking back, focusing on what we'll lose rather than on what we will gain. Focusing on what we will lose rather than what we will gain. By the way, that, that, is, that is my modus operandi. I'm always kind of weighing those kinds of things. But can anything compare? Can anything compare to the glory that's going to be revealed when you stand before the Lord and He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? And, and, and it's not just about, ooh, I get, a, I get an honor. Jesus says, no, the reason that He says, well done, is because you were fruitful in your life, right? And many other people were blessed because of your faithfulness to the Lord, including your family. 
that you were so concerned about losing, right? Including your father, that you were so concerned about being there for, right? Um, uh, no, the, the blessing of God, when we stand before Him, right before He says to us those precious words, be glorified, the, 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 the beauty of what we're going to receive is that God's going to say, I want you to see the fruitfulness of your life. I want to see how with those little tiny decisions that you made to sacrifice something for the kingdom of God, the amazing fruit that was born in the lives of people that you care about as a result of that. So this is really critical for us. How do we cultivate a fruitful heart? I mean, it's going to sound a little bit churchy, and I apologize. But a lot of the solutions you already know, you already know them. That's not the issue. The, the solutions have to be put into practice. So how do you cultivate a fruitful heart? You, you deepen your commitment, right? You Remember our, our challenge? We're going, to, we're going to put down deep roots. You deepen your commitment to God's Word. God's word is the object of this whole parable. God is sowing his word. He's throwing it out there. And as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, the great news, whether you're hard heart, shallow heart, or thorny soil, the great news is he's still scattering seeds. He's not done yet. He still believes in you. He's still, by faith, tossing those seeds out there. The, the, the great invitation is for you to put down roots in God's word. To spend time, and, 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 and many of you are going, I just, I just, I just can't do that. I, uh, 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 yes, you can. Start small. Start small. Don't, don't get up at four and study God's Word for five hours. That'll last about one day. Um, start small, but with ever-increasing faithfulness. Spend time in God's Word, and God will speak to you through it. God will direct you through it. But deepen also your commitment to God's people in in the Seattle area where I came from, gosh, 24 years ago now, um, it's beautiful. Um, there are 150-foot fir trees everywhere. We had 20 of them in our backyard. 20 of these fir trees in our backyard. But here's the deal with those, with those fir trees. If, if we, did, we did a little rearranging on the yard. We, we kind of expanded some of the lawn area and... and and tried to protect the trees, but everywhere where we took away trees to make more room in our yard, the trees nearby fell down. It turns out it's a particular problem with fir trees, right? They grow so close together that they never bother to put down deep roots, right? Because they depend on one another and they protect one another. You've got to put down deeper roots in God's Word. But there's a beauty in being together with other people who are like-passioned, who are like-minded, who are like-hearted. You've got to surround yourself wherever you are. You've got to surround yourself with God's people. And together they will provide that protection. Together they will provide that accountability until that time when your roots can go deep. And then if God allows you or asks you to stand alone, you'll be able to do it. Surround yourself with God's people. Deepen your commitments to God's people. And, and then lastly, let me just say, deepen your commitment to God's purpose for your life. A lot of us have borrowed purposes from temporary seasons of our life. I want to be the best employee that I can be. That's awesome, but that's a, that's a temporary one. I want you to go deeper. A lot of us have, have even found amazing meaning and purpose in, in uh, the, the, 
family situation that we found ourselves. I, I'm, I want to be the best father. I want to, and I want to be the best mother. Those are beautiful. I want to be the best uh, spouse that I can. Those are super, but those things will change as well. Amen? Those things will change as well. They are not worthy of your primary commitment. God has a purpose for every life, every soul that is present in this room. God has a sovereign purpose for it. And, and lest you be afraid, part of his purpose is, is a commitment and, and, and beautiful relationships with, with other friends and church members and our spouses and our children. All those things are good things. But you've got to find, you've got to find his sovereign purpose for your life. I'm so excited about it. I don't want to try to tell you what God's purpose for your life is, but I do know this from Jesus, that all those other things are encompassed in the Great Commission. All those other things are encompassed in the challenge of God to make disciples who will make disciples, whether that be in your workplace or in your home or in your marriage. Um, you've got to find that purpose and you've got to stand on that purpose. So when I look at this reflection of these three people, we were asking hard questions in the Bible study at 9 o'clock. We were saying, what happened with those guys? What happened with them? We don't know. We don't know. And I don't know what's going to happen with the seed of God's Word that's been planted in you today. I honestly don't know. You know me, I'm a dreamer. I can, I can envision a future. I, I can hear music and see credits rolling. I can... I, um, but it's not up to me, right? It's, it's not up to me. It's up to you. What kind of soil are you going to be? What kind of life are you going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ? My great prayer, my great prayer is that it is an amazingly fruitful life that God would richly bless you. But let me challenge you. Worship team, come on up if you would. Let me challenge you just for a second with a quick question. It seems like it seems like the danger for these three. I think there were men. We don't know that for sure, but but um, these three men who encountered Jesus. I think the the great challenge was that they were they could easily say what they thought Jesus wanted to hear, and and, and I call that lip service. Um, you know, they gave lip service to the challenge of God in. Your life, but the question is not whether you will give lip service, but whether you will give life service to Jesus. Is the God who reigns, the God who's we've been celebrating all day today, is He worthy of your life and your service, even if that means, even if that means 20 months of imprisonment, even if that means the ultimate sacrifice of your life and the loss of all the things of this earth that you hold dear. Andrew had very little resources, very little resources. I'm going to forget it, so I'm going to interrupt myself and just say, uh, if, you'd, if you'd like to um, commit to daily praying for Andrew, um, um, join me. Um, just grab a thing, and, and every time I see it, it reminds me to pray for Andrew. Come up afterwards and grab one. If we run out, I'll get more. But um, in that transition, when he realized it wasn't about him being in a Turkish jail, it was about God he wrote these words to a song. You are worthy, Jesus, worthy of my all. My tears and pain 
I lift up as an offering. Teach me, teach me, Jesus, to share in the fellowship of your sufferings. Lamb of God, you are worthy of my all. You are worthy, worthy of my all, adopted as a son, a brother to my king. Indeed, I will share in your glory if I share in your suffering, Jesus. You're worthy of my all. It's a much longer song, but let me read one more verse. You are worthy, Jesus, worthy of my all. This is my declaration. In the darkest hour, Jesus, the faithful one who loves me, always good and true, you made me yours, Jesus. You are worthy of my all. Just what struck me as I listened thousand people singing a song written by a guy in prison who's not yet been released from prison was what is what is the song of my life going to be you know what refrain will people sing when they think about me will be those names escaping me for a second the hymn of hell Frank Sinatra I did it my way right Or will it be, you are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy of my all. Pray with me, would you? Thank you for your word, God. Thank you um, for the soil that is our hearts. Wherever we find ourselves, would you, Holy Spirit, go before us? If it is a hardened heart, would you plow it up? I know, I know, uh, God, I'm asking for something that is going to be painful and for myself and for others and and something that is counterintuitive, but um, nothing is worth Satan being able to steal this word from my heart. God, if I find myself in a shallow place, would you help me to put down deep roots in your word, in the community of faith? God, in your sovereign purpose for my life. God, if I find myself in that place where I've been feeding the weeds, the things that can never hold a candle to you, God. The things that are actually um, robbing me of the nourishment, I need to let that word grow. And grant me the courage, God. Grant me the strength to, to pull them up, to make them an offering to you, and to focus on the one, the one true vine, the word of God. And it's written, it's spoken, it's living form to focus on that one true vine. And God, I pray that for all of us, our song will sing to you and will bring you glory and bring blessing to everyone we encounter. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.